0: Good morning, friends. My name is Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here. If this is your first time, we'd like to welcome you to Conduit. We are going to be in Acts chapter 9 this morning, so if you have um, a copy of the scripture, you can take it out and turn to the book of Acts. There are some copies in uh, in your seats next to you. If you've got, uh, got it on your uh, phone or on the screen, it's perfectly fine, too. If you have the uh, Conduit app, there's a copy of the Bible on there as well, so. So uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, of course we are, um, we're finishing out uh, a series that we have been walking through all summer, uh, a series that we entitled Divine Appointment and uh, that phrase carries with it a a lot of meaning in a lot of different ways or for a lot of different reasons. And, uh, you know, we want to endeavor as Christians here uh, at at Conduit to both uh, keep our eyes open and our spirits aware of divine appointments that God is creating for us to share the hope and love, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. We want to constantly be aware of those opportunities that God has given to us, those divine appointments, uh, of course. But we also uh, want to be a people who don't just, um, don't just passively wait for the opportunity uh, to share about what Jesus has done in our lives. But uh, we've talked some about creating intentional opportunities, intentional times where your life intersects with someone else's life and an opportunity for you to share what Jesus has done for you. So it's not just, um, it's not just a passive endeavor of waiting for a divine appointment to happen but sometimes it takes the form of me saying um lord help me in this situation rightly reflect the love of jesus for this person um and so uh we've tried to do um we've tried to do a a a faithful job of encouraging you in both of those ways so uh, this morning we're going to um, we're going to close up the Divine Appointment Series in, uh, in preparation for um, a, a fall series on the parables, um, and uh, so we're excited about that. Um, but I w- wonder if you would join me this morning as we, uh, as we dive into God's Word. Uh, Lord, may you speak your word, your truth into our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, we know that your word says that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will come, will reveal to us, will, will help us, Lord, your truth. Lord, your word is truth. And so, Lord, um, As we come in this morning, maybe carrying a lot of baggage, maybe carrying pain, maybe carrying frustration, or maybe just the the white noise of life, the busyness of life, the hectic nature of life has us distracted this morning. Lord, I pray that by your grace, you would give us this moment of emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual peace. So that we may receive from your holy spirit every every pebble of truth for our lives lord we love you and we trust you in jesus name amen so um acts chapter 9 is where we are this morning and um Acts chapter nine is kind of the uh, at least in the first twenty-two verses or so, it gives us a really good um, a really good picture of two types of divine appointments, um, and uh, how how we've been kind of talking about how divine appointments or how divine appointments can be dual in nature. Uh, and Acts Acts chapter nine um, it kind of displays for us or shows for us how. Um, that, that God, God desires a divine appointment with you, that, that you are on God's calendar, right? That there is, um, there is one moment or, more likely, many moments in your walk with the Lord, in your faith journey, where God's like, man, I got to get Cameron Lightheart on my calendar because he and I need to have a little talk right um but then there's also these these other um experiences or these other other times where um a lot of what we've been talking about this summer where god has uh, a divine appointment for us that is not necessarily between me and my heavenly father but is between me and someone else whom my heavenly father has some business to do right and so um, speaks through me as a person, uh, uses me as a person to love, to accept, to teach, to pray over, to encourage, whatever the case may be. And so we have times in our lives where, where we are the divine appointment, where, where it is our hearts right, that, that God is wanting to shape, that God is wanting to, to change. And then we have other times where God is wanting to use us in the process of his changing someone else's heart. And we see both of these in Acts chapter 9. So I want to talk up, um, just a little bit about them. But uh, see, the, what is encouraging to me as I look at Acts chapter 9 is that there's this reality that exists with my spiritual journey and with your spiritual journey and every single person's Uh, as, as they as they walk with jesus we have there's this interconnectedness that cannot be ignored meaning i don't i don't live my life i don't walk on a path to following jesus more faithfully in some kind of vacuum autonomously separated from every other person in this room that god has linked us closely together by his spirit through our faith in jesus christ linked us together by his holy spirit and each one of us has a critical part to play in each and everyone else's walk with jesus and we see that here with um ananias and paul or saul that that even though they were they could not be they could not be further from each other on the spectrum of jesus following That they were, they became integrally connected to each other's divine appointments. That Ananias was like a, hold up, wait a minute, right? Like, I know you, I want to be used by you, Father. I want to be faithful to what you've done in my life, but asking me to be a part of Saul's story is a little bit much, right? And then on the other side of that coin as well, Saul's own story of his divine appointment with the Father were connected. It's, um, and Paul even says some interesting things about that here that we're going to see. So Acts chapter 9. If you're not familiar with Acts uh, chapter 9 or the story of um, this guy named Saul, um, just for, for, um, for my comfort and for confusion's sake, his name is Saul here in um, Acts chapter 9. He's later known, uh, later known as Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, is how most people know him, writing you know, uh, a large part, two-thirds of the New Testament, and so for... Um, com- for simplicity's sake, I'm just going to refer to him as Paul all morning. Is that all right? All right. You know, theology by vote. Everyone raise their hand if that's okay. Okay. All right. Um, so we're just going to re- we're just going to refer to him as Paul all morning, just for simplicity's sake. All right. So meanwhile, Acts chapter nine, verse one, uh, Paul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Um, Paul was the picture perfect enemy of the christian church could not could not be a more um, well-spoken organized financed resourced enemy of christians he went to the high priest that is the jewish high priests and asked him for letters to the synagogues in damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. So here's the story: This guy named Paul was um, was a very um, well-spoken, educated, powerful figure in Jewish culture and in Jewish faith. Uh, swore himself. As arch enemy of jewish people who were now professing that jesus christ was indeed the messiah that jesus of nazareth was the messiah that they had long been waiting for that he had the power to forgive sins that he was sent from the father that yes he died on a roman cross but god raised him back to life and he now ascended into heaven where he is seated at God's right hand and has promised to come again, but not before sending the Holy Spirit of God to be the lifeblood of his followers until he returned. And Paul is just bent about this. Like, Jesus is not the Messiah. Not only is this just not an unpopular opinion, okay, um, But this was considered um, a grave, grave, even um, mortal breaking of law and sin in the Jewish faith. And so anyone that was found to be a follower of, as Luke here in Acts says, belonged to the way, the way of Jesus, right? Belonged to the way, was subject to Paul's dragging them in before the high priest and saying, this Jewish person is guilty of blasphemy. Should be prosecuted under the fullest extent of the law. And of course, back in Acts chapter 6, we've read here before about how um, the, one of the most famous martyrs of the early church, a guy named Stephen, Stephen, proclaiming his faith in jesus christ proclaiming that jesus was indeed the messiah the scripture says that saul overlooked and approved of his execution and of his stoning death and so paul is walking around the holy land with this reputation that precedes him as a man who christians should avoid he is not a friend of the faith he is a foe of the faith in fact the most violent and brutal and like no mercy type of enemy that there possibly could be you could not pick a greater enemy for the church than paul and so he's on his merry way to damascus with letters of approval from the high priest to every single christian he could to bring them in right and he's got this idea, Paul, Paul has this, he's got this picture in his mind of what, of what he's going to do, right? Well, I'm going to march over to Damascus and I'm going I'm to find these people and we're going we're to bring, you know, it never ceases to amaze me. How many times I make plans in my life, right, that I think are like well and good and this is what God wants me to do. And this is what my life is about. And this is... And then, on my way, on my merry way, to do all those things that I know that I'm supposed to be about, like... Like God slams on the brake, right? Bright lights, loud voices, me down on my face, can't see a thing, blinded by God's redirection. Because there are critical moments in my life where i know that that i'm that i i think i'm on the right path i think i'm doing the right thing oh my my gosh like i'm a i'm a seminary trained um pastor like i i know what i'm doing and my heart's always right of course and i'm always in the word and i'm always in prayer and this is just the right thing to do i know it and then all of a sudden god slams the brakes on in my life and like there's this it goes beyond what i know right There comes this experience with Jesus. So look what happens with Paul. In verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Man, this is a deeply theological statement that, that, Jesus, that the resurrected Jesus makes in this moment. Deeply theological. We talked a minute ago about how integrally connected each one of us are with one another, right? That my story, my walk with Jesus cannot be separated from your walk with Jesus, right? Because, um, because we, we, we have faith in the same savior we have the it is the same spirit we are baptized by the same water it is the same god and father that calls us by the same faith that has united us in the same body we are one and what this says here to paul and we know that it's jesus because Kind of let the cat out of the bag here verse five who are you lord saul asks well i am jesus whom you are persecuting he replied now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do here's the interesting thing about this for me is that had paul ever met jesus before before this moment there's no inclination we have we have no evidence that paul ever personally met jesus jesus was gone right Died on the cross, put in the grave, tomb was empty, Jesus is in heaven, right? Paul goes around persecuting, killing all those who profess to follow Jesus. But now Jesus comes on the scene and he says to Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And it's Interesting that Paul later goes on, right? Paul later goes on to talk about how um, he... We, we can only suspect somehow Paul develops this idea or this notion, this picture of the Christian community of all Christians gathered together as a body with Jesus as the head. And and so Paul Paul is walking around persecuting um, persecuting Christian persecuting Christian persecuting Christian persecuting Christian. Persecuting Christian. Jesus comes on the scene and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? There's an integral connection, right? Through the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Paul says later in Ephesians that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the Spirit that will raise us from the dead as well, right? That the Holy Spirit makes us one with Jesus, both in death and in life. And so when, when for, for, for Jesus, when, when Paul was attacking Christians, when he stoned Stephen, when he was looking for them in Damascus, it wasn't as if he was just hurting someone who Jesus liked a whole lot. It was an attack, an assault on Jesus himself. That Jesus... Jesus bore that burden personally, right? Paul, why are you persecuting me? What is it? Why are you chasing me? Why are you hurting me? Now, um, the scripture goes on to say that in the midst of this experience, um, that Paul is stricken with blindness, that he... He is unable to see the men traveling. Verse 7. Traveling there with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Um here's an important thing uh, for us to learn from the life of paul here paul was actively pursuing wickedness it's it's clear by by jesus interaction with him that he was none too pleased with the actions of paul that the things paul was doing was was wicked in the sight of the lord and seen as a direct attack upon the resurrected jesus himself There's no doubt to say that um, what Paul was doing was considered um, wickedness in the sight of God. But Paul was perfectly, 100%, I guess you could say deceived into believing that he was doing the right, spiritual, godly, faithful thing. That man, you know, like, I got, I, I know what I'm talking about. Like, I can, I can list off all the things that these followers of the way are doing. Long. I, got, I got the checklist, and they don't hit any of the boxes. In fact, well, maybe they hit all of the boxes, right? And I, and I have, I have the, the backing of the high priest, and I have the backing of the law, and I have the backing of, of, of everything, completely 100% convinced that what he was doing was the right thing and not just the right thing because that's the opinion that he had but the right thing but because he believed it was the thing that God would want him to do man could he be more wrong could he have been more wrong well, I really think this is the thing that God wants me to do. I really think this is the attitude that God needs me to have. I really think this is the thing that God um, needs me to, uh, uh, the the stance that God needs me to take. Be careful. Be careful. I'm not saying we never take stands for God. Of course you know I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we never have any deeply held foundational beliefs that we do not move from. Um, What I'm I'm saying is is that if we do not constantly let the Holy Spirit of God refine every motivation that we have for believing the things that we believe, it is very easy over time for us to fall into patterns of, I know this about God, therefore I'm going to do this. And let me tell you what. If any belief that you have, if anything that you hold tightly to, if there is any rock that you stand on that does not lead you or others around you closer to Jesus, then you're standing on the sand. Because what it appears to be here is that, yeah, Paul, by the letter of the law, right, had every right, right. To do what he was doing, but when but when he was approached by Jesus, he says, Paul, what are you doing?" Jesus is everything, people. And any time we hold onto something so tightly, but it doesn't, but it doesn't conform our hearts. To the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. It doesn't conform the hearts of those around us to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. It's time, it's time to ask the Lord whether what I'm holding so tightly to is something that he wants me to let go or, or not. Um, so we uh, continue on here. Um, his friends... Uh, lead him into Damascus says for three days uh, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything of course so you have this this very powerful influential um, uh, teacher of the law very educated man very motivated man who has an incredible experience with the resurrected Jesus he's obviously not just changed internally right there are some physical qualities and characteristics about him that have now changed he can't even eat right and he can't see so now the man that was walking around in all of this authority is being led around like a blind beggar um the irony should not be lost on us um But it's not the end of the story, right? Because we've been talking all morning about how my story and your story and your story and your story they all weave together, right? Because here in verse 10, we it switches, right? We're not talking about Paul anymore. Now we switch over to this other guy, this guy named Ananias. And in verse 10, it says, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him. Now, Here's what's interesting about um, the the call to Ananias. Ananias was a man who was already following Jesus, right? It, It stands to reason that he had a spiritual sensitivity about him so that when the Lord began to speak to him, he knew immediately that it was the Lord, right? Whereas Paul, void of the Holy Spirit in his life, was like, who are you? Right? But Ananias was like, uh, yes, Lord. Like, he had already pressed into relationship with Paul, or with, um, with the Lord. Like, he knew, yeah, this is God speaking to me. The witness of the Lord's spirit and his spirit were like, clicking on, on all eight cylinders, right? Well-oiled machine. That doesn't necessarily mean that what Ananias heard from the Lord was something he wanted to hear, but suffice it to say, we know that Ananias was a, a faithful man of God who listened to the Lord. Because here in verse um, in verse 10 and 11, the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him. How specific this is, right? When you are listening, when your spirit is in tune with the Holy Spirit of God, right? Um, wisdom. Instruction um, doesn't come as a general revelation, right? For Paul, it was um, get up and go into the city, and I'll tell you later what to do, right? Like, you don't know the sound of my spirit's voice, so I'm not going to give you a whole lot of details. That's just going to confuse you in the end, right? Go into the city, I'll tell you later. Now we have Ananias, this guy who has a history of serving the Lord, right? And the Lord is like, look how, look how detailed the information that the, that the Lord gives to Ananias is. <clears throat> Go to the house of Judas uh, on Straight Street um, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. Um, in a vision, he has seen a, a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Well... Uh, I guess that clears up any confusion right Uh, I'm going to street street I'm going to find a man named Saul Um, he's praying he sees me I'm going to lay my hands on him and restore his sight there's no like hey Lord what do you want me to do next I don't know please give me wisdom close any door you don't want me to walk through right? All all those typical prayers of like I don't know what I'm doing but I'm just gripping the wheel right Jesus take it and lead me where you want me to go Ananias is like, I don't know right what I'm doing, right where I'm going, right where I'm supposed to go. Why? Because he has cultivated over time a relationship with the Holy Spirit of God that when the Holy Spirit of God speaks to him, he recognizes the voice right away and can do exactly what it says. (coughs) And so, um, and so, yeah. Verse thirteen. Uh, but the Lord, uh verse thirteen, uh Lord, um <laughs> question, question, Lord. Um I hear you loud and clear. Um but uh I've heard many reports about this man and um the hard things he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So, um, can I get a mulligan on this one, please? Give me a a hard pass, Lord. Um, Not not really excited about what you're, essentially. Lord, uh, I hear you loud and clear, super uncomfortable with doing this, God. Super uncomfortable. Man, I wish this was a really unrelatable story. You know? Because we don't necessarily have people walking around bre- breathing murderous threats against everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, throwing us in jail, persecuting us. But um, let me tell you what, uh, when I was praying over this scripture, and when I was praying over this specific point, like, the God God. Um, was quick to bring one certain individual into my mind that was or is my Paul. Ah, yeah, Lord. I know you have me in their life. Um, I know I have, yeah, uh, but really don't like them. Don't like them. Our personalities don't mix. Our family values don't mix. Um, Our view on the world doesn't mix. Uh, Yeah, Lord, I see all the things that you might, like, like you're doing. You're weaving other people's stories into His story, and like you're creating divine appointments. But God, is there any? Is there anyone else, Lord? Please. Uh, I guess, who, who is that person, right, that in your eyes is so horribly wicked and untouchable that, the, that even the idea of God using you to heal their brokenness is, is like, eh, no thanks. I'll let them be broken instead. You got that person, I know you do. I know you have that person, right? You know, I didn't even have to get the words out of my mouth. The Lord had already brought the person to your mind, right? You know exactly who that person is in your life. Where if the Lord was like, I need you to offer to pray for this person next time you're with them. That you, it's like a kick in the gut. Like anyone but them, Lord anyone but them and i think there's a lot of reasons for this you know um you know if it's a a person that's really close to you sometimes that person has inflicted so much personal pain in your own life so much damage there's so much fallout from the the way in which your relationship has been that it's not so that, that honestly you just don't want to right like like, there's, there's a fear that the closer I get, the more vulnerable I become, and I'm, I'm so sick of being hurt by this person, that I'm just not going to go there anymore. Just not going to go there anymore. And that's, that's certainly true, that's certainly a possibility, right? There's other possibility as well, there's many of them. What I find, right, and, um, and, and this is a personal one for me, what, what I find is that i'm like lord um i don't think you understand how bad they are god i don't like let let me give you a little advice god this is a person that like they're they're out there like freaking pluto right now they're gone lord not happening god and ananias i think that's probably his point here is probably like a little fear right Um, is this a trick? Am I going to walk up to this guy he's going to slap handcuffs on me and take me off? Or, Lord, do you understand who this guy is? What he's been doing? What he is all about? Like, way out there. Um, Listen. If there is one truth, if there is one seed of truth that you let germinate in your soul, this morning, it is this. You cannot, I cannot, no one ever can be so wicked as to outrun the pursuing love of our Father. You cannot outrun. You cannot out, you know the phrase, you can't outgive God? Right? you know that phrase true by the way cliche but true right um, you can't outgive God you cannot outwicked the pursuing love of God in your life you can't do it you cannot go so low that the love of God will not find you there not only will the love of God uh, not only can you not go so low that the love of God won't find you there, but the love of God is actually already there, right? You cannot out wicked the pursuing love of God. That person that the Lord brought to your, brought to your mind, brought to your heart is not so wicked. Is not so wicked. That a life, that, that that an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ, through your words, through your prayers, through your grace, through your compassion, through your love towards them, could not be blinded by, by his glory and completely change the trajectory of his life. Because look at what happens here. Of course, we see what happened in Paul's life. But look at the response that the Lord gives to Ananias when he says, "Uh, Lord, I can't, or I don't want to, or are you sure? But the Lord said to Ananias in verse 15, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. One, uh, not a very convincing bid by God to earn Paul's heart, right? Or to, to win Paul's Hey Paul, I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name. Uh, hard pass, thanks. Next. But listen. Um, you know, there's this idea... Um, and, um, see, the thing is, the thing is about this idea is that the reason that it's, um, dangerous is because it's half true. Uh, those are the most dangerous types of truth is the half truths because they're also half false, right? Um, and, and this, what, what Jesus tells Ananias is a perfect example of it. Because what, basically what Jesus tells Ananias is that I, um, there's a reason that I encountered Paul on this road. There's, there's a reason that I struck him blind. There, there's a reason that I appeared to him in all of my glory. There's a reason that I'm sending you to pray over him that his sight would be restored. There's a reason You see, the half-truth of Christianity, or one of the half-truths of Christianity, is that that when when we have a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ, where we put our, our faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ, that the totality of that relationship is Jesus saving us from eternal damnation. Period. And why is that dangerous? Well, it's danger. It's a dangerous view of salvation because it's only half the story. Is it true? Categorically true, without a doubt. True. Does does when we put our faith in Jesus Christ? Does does He? rip us from the proverbial and eternal fire that we are destined for absolutely right but but if we maintain that salvation is merely some form of eternal fire insurance then we have to really ask questions about what jesus said to ananias here because there's no mention of a, i just couldn't bear to see paul go to hell no mention of that in fact the the key the the main the central reason that jesus himself gives to ananias for what he must do is because it's because jesus says hey look i've got a plan for an for paul's life see jesus doesn't just save us from something Jesus saves us to something. We're not just being saved so that we won't have to experience something. We're being saved so that we can experience the thing that God has purposed us to experience and do. When we say say that, that we live to be on mission, this is exactly what we're talking about. Is that... Is that, is that the Christian life, the call of Jesus Christ, the saving act of Jesus is not just about our eternal destiny. It's what God has called us to as individuals because other people's purposes are on the line. It's not just a... Can there be any more clear of a scripture that it's not just about me? It's not just about you, Right? There are people desperately wicked, yes. Desperately deceived that they may even be thinking that, man, I'm doing the exact thing that God wants me to do, right? And God's like, you got it all wrong, mister. Uh, But in verse, verse 17, Ananias went to the house, entered it, placing his hands on Saul. This is awesome right this is such an encouragement for all of us right they're like i'm willing to pray over someone but i'm scared to death but i don't know what i'm doing and like i don't have all the answers and i like uh, i'm new to this and um, i'm scared by all of this right here look then ananias went to the house and entered it placing his hands on saul he said brother saul you know deep breath big swallow the Lord Jesus who appeared to you uh, on the road as you were coming here he has sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit immediately something like scales fell off from Saul's eyes he could see again he got up was baptized and after taking some food regained his strength now look at the Look at what role did Ananias have in Saul being healed here. Because you know, one of the things that scares me, right? Again, theologically trained, pastor for most of my adult life, right? Like, you know what scares me? I mean, I just, I don't know if I'm going to have a real good answer for the brokenness that this person's experienced. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to lead them from the place where they are at to the place where God wants them to be. I'm afraid. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to enter the conversation. I don't know how to exit the conversation. I don't know how to follow up. I don't know. How, like I just don't know. I don't know what to do. And And so many times we put... We put so much ownership on a person's healing, on my ability to answer all of their questions, right? As if the reason that this person is broken is because they don't have enough information in their head. But what God is saying And showing and doing here is that, put your hands on him. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Pray the power of the Spirit. Essentially, hey, bro, just do what I've asked you to do. I got it. I got this. That's like a warm blanket on a cold day for me. It's like, there is so much that is up to me, of course. Ananias had to go, right? To Straight Street. (laughs) He had to be willing to walk through those doors, he had to be willing to let those words out of his mouth. He had to be willing to put his hands on a person that four days ago would have murdered him, right? But when when Ananias was willing to do the things that he could do, God did all of the things that Ananias couldn't. Heal his blindness. Make his heart tender. Open his eye. Scales fell off his eyes. Oh, come on now, right? That'll preach all day. Many times where through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, right? The scales came off my eyes, right? And you see things for how they truly are. And you are overwhelmed with what you knew back then right here's the last thing we're going to talk about this morning what happens after that what happens after Paul is baptized what what happens after the scales come off his eyes what happens after that Uh, Saul spent, uh, verse 19, um, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. I'm sure that was a hard sell. Um, At once, he began to preach in the synagogues. This is incredible. He began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Here's a guy that four days ago could not be convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. And now... He's in the synagogues preaching, um, preaching so convincingly that he is baffling the Jews. You tell me, how does Paul not ever make the connection in his own mind right, that Jesus was indeed the Son of God four days ago, but he's making it now? There's this duality of our spiritual lives, right? Uh, The word says, Paul himself says, in Acts chapter 22, in Philippians chapter 3, that, that there was no one in all of Jewish life that knew the law better than him. That he was as educated as you could possibly be. That he was as faultless, you could possibly be. That he had every little bit of knowledge, every bit of practical wisdom according to the law that a person could possibly ever want. There was no rival. He knew it all. If there is any um, if, if, there is, if there is any evidence that you need to understand this is that um, knowledge only takes you so far? I mean, you can you can fill your head with one thousand and one facts about God, about faith, about Scripture. You can memorize whole books of the Bible. You can be the most. You can have every answer for every question that anyone ever has about anything relating to Christianity or God or Jesus or the Bible or the faith. Until you have a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ, it leads nowhere. Knowledge without the filling of the Spirit leads only to legalism. That's all it leads to. That's what it led to in Paul's life had every single bit of knowledge that you could possibly imagine. And what did it lead to? Did it lead to a greater understanding of who God was? No! It led to the exact opposite. Until he had a moment where he let the Holy Spirit of God invade his life and take the scales from his eyes, did he realize that everything that he had been accumulating all his life was now for the purpose of leading others to Jesus. Everything in life was pointing to this moment of preparing Paul to bring others to the cross. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, He, uh, he, he basically like he puts the period at the end of the sentence of this whole point. That knowledge gets you nowhere unless you have a life-changing experience with Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 4. If anyone thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews... In regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal and persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness Of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them pure rubbish. That I may gain Christ. And be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own. That comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that comes from God. And is by faith. I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings like in him death becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead listen you may be here this morning right you may be be, be here this morning having walked for so long down a path of i'm right i'm right i'm right i'm doing everything i need to do i'm right i'm right I'm right, but all around you is a wake of relationships and decisions and people that you have pushed far away from Jesus. And if people are not magnetized to the spirit of Jesus within you, right, then there's a problem. You need a Damascus road but you also may be here this morning being like Ananias, right? Like, man, I know that there's this person and I know that you're calling me there and I know I don't want to do it, um, but, God, I need to. And you might be somewhere in the middle, right? You might be somewhere in the middle knowing that today and every day You need to get like you need a divine appointment. Like you need, Lord, uh, Lord, I need like a fresh encounter with the resurrected Holy Spirit or the resurrected Jesus Christ, uh, because I'm walking my own path and I'm doing my own thing, and I thought it was right, but uh, ain't no one around me attracted to the Jesus in me. In fact, everyone's just kind of annoyed right now, and things are falling apart. And if that is you, right? Take heart. Because there are Ananiases up here. There are, there, are, there are Ananiases that are ready to put their hands on you and pray for you this morning. That maybe for the first time ever in your life, or the first time, or, 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 or again, right? You need the spiritual scales dropped from your eyes. And you don't, you're walking around blind, hungry to see again. If you need an encounter, if you need an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ this morning, Do not leave this place a blind man or woman. Do not leave this place knowing the freedom to which God has called you. The purpose to which God has has planned for your life. Certainly do not leave this place thinking, "That, that wasn't for me. That message isn't for me. That Jesus isn't for me. That life isn't for me. Because it is. Jesus wants to enc- Jesus wants to have an encounter with you. Jesus wants to to stop you as you're walking along your life, thinking that you've got that you're doing exactly everything that you should be doing. Want to be doing, need to be doing. God wants to change the trajectory of the path that you're walking. Whether you think you've, whether, whether you've been walking that path for 40 years or whether you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ before, Jesus wants that opportunity this morning to meet you and change you in a fresh way. I'm going to call up the band back up um and um and uh as we're as we're given an opportunity to uh, to worship here at the the close of our service I want to give um, I want to give an opportunity to have uh, Ananias pray for you um, I don't profess to be a hero hero of the faith or a hero of any story right but I um I know that that my heart is to see you experience Jesus Christ not just in your mind right but in your heart in your life right to accompany with what what you might know what you know about Jesus with how he wants you to experience actually who he is that is my heart's desire. That is Pastor Corey's heart's desire. We have many leaders around this room that are, that are willing and able and ready to pray for you. Whether you are Paul or whether you are Ananias or whether you are somewhere in between, don't let this opportunity pass you by. It is not a guaranteed day. It is not a guaranteed life. Jesus wants to save you from something. And equally, he wants to save you to something. Let's discover that this morning together. During this last song, the proverbial altar at the front is open. We welcome you to come forward. If you come forward, I'm going to ask you just to, just, to, just to get the awkwardness out of the way. Hey, uh, what do you want me to pray for? And if you don't know, then we'll begin praying and we'll let the Holy Spirit guide our, uh, guide our work in prayer. But if you know, and most of you know, um, then you let us know. And, uh, and, and we'll charge the throne room of grace with prayers prayed in confidence by the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen.